Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting startup founders share their stories and strategies. They also deliver tangible lessons learned along the way that you can apply to your own startup. Each episode is a true masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. This is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups, and my special guest today is Greg Vetter. Greg, thanks for joining us on Rising Tide. Happy to be here. We've had a had a real quick chat before we hit the record button, and I'm, I told him I'm really anxious to to kind of chase down this story. But to, to lead us off here, if you and I met at a networking event, how would you introduce yourself to me? Uh, I make salad dressing, which no one ever believes. <laughs> <laughs> I do because I cheated, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I just say, uh, you know. Took my mom's salad dressing and walked into Whole Foods and told them I was a world famous food manufacturer, got a shot and uh, currently make salad dressing uh, with my brothers at a manufacturing plant in Baltimore and, you know, number one organic dressing company in the country and, and grinding away. So the name of the company is Tessa Mays. I'm, I think that is probably named after someone. That is my mom's nickname. So my mom's name is Teresa. My dad's from Southern Ohio. And so when they were dating, he took her to a, a wedding and she rolls up and his older brother goes, oh, what's your name? And she's like, Teresa. And he goes, not in these parts. You're not. <laughs> he, goes, you're, he goes, you're Tessie May. And so then uh, when email came out, she was like, well, I'm going to be, my email is going to be Tessie May at AOL.com. <laughs> and so when we were trying to figure out a name, you know, I'm writing all these stupid names out and uh, I finally write out Tessie Mays Organic and it sounded so official. And I was like, oh, wow, there it is. There it is. We're going to do it. <laughs> well, I am, uh, you know, we've had others that have, that have talked about kind of the whole food route and or similar, I guess, similar journey. But did was it like the perfect intersection or perfect storm timing wise too? I mean, did you did you land in Whole Foods land at about the time that they were in, say, a growth mode or maybe it was early enough that they didn't have, you know, the, the competition that you would have had to face? If, let's say if you started, tried to start it today, what was the what was kind of the landscape there? Yeah, I would say they were, you know, the most popular grocery store in the country at the time. Uh, they were definitely in a growth mode. So that was 2009. Mm -hmm. um, I would say the competition was stiff. But uh, we also, it, the crazy part, the reason I, I started the business was a neighbor broke into my house and stole the salad dressing that my mom made for me out of my house. And so once I tracked the person down, you know, I had this kind of weird lightning bolt moment of this dressing's never gotten old. We've given it to people to try and make. They couldn't make it. Everybody requests it. You know, my mom was giving it out to people for holidays and, you know, birthday presents. And it was just always a thing. It was like, make sure your mom brings a salad dressing. And so, you know, there, everybody has great ideas. Mm -hmm. But I go, this has to be a thing. It has to exist. Clean salad dressing has to exist in 2009. And so I drove to Whole Foods and it didn't. And I drove to Fresh Market and it didn't. And I drove to... Uh, giant and then Safeway and, and none of them had, 
you know, dressings that didn't have refined sugars and thickening agents and citric acid and natural flavor and kind of all this weird stuff in it. And so I just kind of was, I was taken back. I was like, there's no way that this is a thing. And so I just started cold calling that the uh, local Annapolis Whole Foods. And I find, you know, a couple of people told me no, but they didn't sound like the right people. So I just kept calling and I finally got a guy on the phone and he uh, agreed to meet with me, but we weren't a company and we didn't have a name or a packaging or anything like that. Uh, but the pitch was, you know, it's the greatest taste in salad dressing you've ever had. And it only has five ingredients. And so I went in for the, for the pitch and brought in a Tupperware container with romaine lettuce with this dressing on top. And uh, I was like, at hey, 1130, man, like right before lunch. <laughs> yep. And he's like, hey, I was like, I brought you a salad. And he was like, what? <laughs> and so, you know, he takes this piece of wet lettuce out of the Tupperware container and licks the dressing off. He doesn't even eat it and goes, wow, you got something really special here. You need to call the regional office. And so that was February of 09. And so they were opening a new Whole Foods in Annapolis, which was going to be kind of the the nicest Whole Foods on the East Coast at the time. Mm. And so uh, all of the regional executives were kind of hovering around this store because it was going to be a really big store opening. And so, you know, I went in and I pitched them and they're like, wow, this is great. Um, and, And again, nobody was making clean salad dressing. And so it tasted great and it was super simple and the story was good. And so they gave us a shot, right? Fill out 200 pages of food manufacturing paperwork and you can come, you know, demo uh, four cases in this store. And so I would say that we were early to the clean food movement by Mm -hmm. a couple of years. Uh, In the beginning, nobody really cared uh, outside of, you know, the whole foods buyers, they cared right. that it was five ingredients, but in the gr- in the grand scheme of the consumer, you know, it's like, it's five ingredients. And they're like, oh, let me try. And thank God it tasted great <laughs> because then they're like, this is the greatest tasting dressing ever. We'll buy it. Yeah. And so the good news about being five ingredients and being a clean label brand before that was cool Every food trend that came our way, we got to participate in and we were like the first bottled product that people could use on all these different diets. So we got to help launch the Whole30 diet and then the paleo movement and then keto and then, you know, all of this stuff of sugar-free and gluten-free and vegan and this and that and this. And again, when you only have five ingredients, um, you know, the only diet we never, we couldn't participate in was uh, Whole Foods had their own diet called Health Starts Here. And it was, didn't taste good. It was not a good diet. It was, it was like no oil, no salt. It was basically just vegetables and juices and you could ferment stuff. And so we tried to make a salad dressing without thickening agents, without anything else that didn't have oil or, or kind of any fat or anything like that. And it just tasted horrible. Uh, and so obviously that diet didn't last very long, but everything else, I mean, it, you know, we have been a staple in those kind of clean eating, clean eating tribes since 
call it 2010 ish. Is I mean, just real consistency, from. like, like through it, like there's no, it's almost like it's, if it was a, another different type of product, it's like almost recession proof yes. you know, type thing. But I, I am curious. So sometimes simplicity is, is a great benefit. And sometimes it's a real hazard, you know, because, you know, it's much easier to knock off. I mean, it's hard to reproduce Coke, you know, yep. it's or, or Kentucky fried chicken or something like that, because it has, you know, 47 different ingredients in it and specific measurements. But have you had people try to knock this off? I mean, have you had people try to reverse engineer it? And yeah. Wishbone came in and said, you know, we're, we can make this, I think, you know, or somebody like that. Well, the really interesting part about what we were doing is we were making, there's a reason nobody makes salad dressing the way we make it. And that's because it's really hard to make that way. Mm -hmm. So the reason people put thickening agents in it is because you make more money and it's really easy to manufacture. Yeah. The reason people put sugar in it and natural flavor and citric acid is you don't have to use real ingredients. Mm -hmm. And so the interesting part about us is we couldn't find any co-packers to make it. And so we had to start our own manufacturing plant. And so what we ended up doing is inventing clean manufacturing. Nobody up until us had figured out how to mass produce a basically sauces and dressings without thickening agents and citric acid and everything else. And so that was a really interesting journey in itself because we were having a lot of wild conversations with food scientists and the process authority and, you know, they're reading out of a book, right? They're just kind of trained rule followers as right. it applies to X, Y, and Z. And we're pushing back on them saying, well, why can't you do it like this? Why can't you do it like that? Why can't we use this instead of that? And at the end of the day, they were like, I mean, I guess you can. It's, it's not in my not. book. Right. Exactly. <laughs> not on my list. <laughs> and so it was cool because... You know, we had built a manufacturing plant around not compromising a product, whereas everybody yeah. else had an existing manufacturing plant. And so your product had to fit that system. And so right. we didn't want to fit that system. And so we created our own, which then allowed us to scale and build a brand around kind of great tasting, super simple products. That even today, I mean, it still has not been successfully knocked off and mm -hmm. it's been over 13 years. So, you know, I, I think it's one of those things where we're just super stubborn. Uh, we're, we're consumers of the, our, of the product ourselves. And so uh, we, we just don't want to add any crap to it because we eat it every day. Stubborn's <laughs> not always bad. I mean, stubborn can often be very good. I mean, you know, there's a, I guess you know, the, the positive flip side of that is I'm diligent, you know, or we're, you know, we are consistent, you know, yeah. in, in the delivery of the product, but I'm assuming that you started out with like one flavor yeah. or one, one, I guess, salad dressing, and then have you expanded to others? And was this all part of the plan? Did your, did, I mean, your mother created the first one. So yeah. did she also have like, you know, I've got four different variations here and, but you know, I already had that done or have you just over time, yeah. So, okay. We're going to expand the, the product. I mean, well, I'm going back to my shark tank days that say, you don't have a business, you have a product, you know? Yeah. Well, it's so true. What's the difference? Well, in the beginning we had one and mm -hmm. uh, my brothers and I are not 
culinary or manufacturing professionals by any means. And so it was like, we're going to take this recipe as far as we can take it. <laughs> and so we tried to get into additional regions of Whole Foods with only one flavor and they, they weren't buying it. You know, they're like, I'm not bringing in one random dressing that's not local. And so then it was come up with more. <laughs> and so, um, you know, my mom, mom. <laughs> well, and she, she is, she is where we get our stubborn nature. So she's like, no, it's perfect the way that it is. So then, it. so then my brothers and I had to figure out additional recipes. Which we did. <laughs> and they turned out really good, actually. Uh, since then, we brought on smarter people to develop kind of all of the different products that we have today, specifically our head of product, uh, Kristen Tatami, who uh, outside of my children and wife is the love of my life. <laughs> uh, she came up with, you know, the ranch dressings that we have in our shelf stable line yep. and kind of all of our innovation. But in the beginning, it was we had one, we tried to grow regions. They wouldn't let us until we had a line. And that was a funny story. So Matt Ray, who's the director of the Mid-Atlantic region for Whole Foods, I was like, hey, we're going to get into another region. And uh, he was like, but you're not local up there. I'm like, yeah, but we got to grow. And so I call the Northeast and they're like, no. <laughs> so I call Matt Ray back. I'm like, I'm really upset, man. They, they said no. And he goes, well, you're already in this region. You know, you could make more dressings and I could buy them from you. And then that's like getting in more regions. And I was like, you're a genius, Matt, an absolute genius. And so then from there, we came out with uh, lemonette, balsamic, and cracked pepper were mm. our first innovations off of lemon garlic. And then uh, we just, and then we just listened to the consumer, you know, yeah. so the consumer would say, Hey, you know, I think, I think you should have something with like a soy sauce in it or something, or I really like this product, but I don't like, you know, how disgusting the uh, ingredient panel is. Can you redo it, but make it clean and make it better. And so that's really where a lot of our innovation came from. I mean, it would, it would be a constant battle. I mean, or I guess a constant challenge to, to iterate and to improve and, you know, based on kind of this feedback loop from, from your, your customer base. But it is, it is an interesting story to just think about, you know, okay, we started out with mom's idea and we kind of, you know, have, have made a, a business out of this that people actually rely on and feed their families on and send their kids to college on. And, you know, the whole idea is of, of, of growth and speaking of that growth, kind of walk us through, you know, the, the, the upward ride hockey stick, or in your case, maybe lacrosse, you know, <laughs> you know, from 2009 to, to today. So initially we were in four stores in year one, right? So we did the initial demo, uh, May 1st, 2009. We set a national sales record at the Annapolis Whole Foods. We sold 650 bottles in one store in five days. Wow. That then allowed us to get into the Mount Washington store, Harbor East in Baltimore, and then uh, Bethesda in Maryland. So we we're in four stores Still kind of doing it part-time, making it at a rib restaurant at night when they closed. <laughs> uh, and then in year two, we jumped into all the stores in Maryland, D.C. and Virginia. Um, that started going really well. Then we got into all the stores in the Mid-Atlantic region. 
Then we started growing by region. Uh, then we became a national vendor at Whole Foods in January of 2013. Um, then we became a national vendor at Safeway. Uh, we got a test in Costco for a little bit, which went well. Then we got a national deal with Kroger. And, and all the while, we had to keep kind of innovating and, and strategically improvising, whether it was the packaging or or certifying ourselves organic, or, you know, at one point we had to reformulate because we were using olive oil, but that solidifies when it gets cold. Mm. And so all of the, you know, national Kroger consumers, just they, they weren't going for solidified salad dressing in the fridge. They just were not going for it. Yeah. So then we found uh, organic expeller press sunflower oil and, um, that really kind of took off. We did a new packaging revamp. We reformulated it. And, and that was exponential growth from that point on. And, um, you know, really not until 2019 did we really have any kind of big innovation stuff within the refrigerated set. And then in 2019, Walmart called us and we were the topic of a disruptive brands conference that they were having. And so the, the, the instructions at the end of it were, go find me a Tessie Mays of the refrigerated salad dressing category for all of the categories of a grocery store. And so the shelf stable buyer called us and said, instead of doing that, why don't you guys just make shelf stable dressing? And we go, Which you had not done up to this point, up to, uh, up to 2019. It was just yeah. Refrigerated. yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So. Yep. And so it was like, okay, well, actually, initially we said no, because we didn't know how to do it. <laughs> and then we, uh, <laughs> and then we got the data on it and the shelf stable category is like 15 times the size mm -hmm. of the refrigerated dressing set. And so we said, okay, we're going to figure out whether or not we can do a great tasting, shelf-stable, clean ranch dressing, which wow. had never been done before. Yeah. So we tasked Kristen with it. <laughs> she went through her normal routine of cussing us out, saying it's not possible. Why would you put this on me? And then by the next day, in true Kristen fashion, she was in the test kitchen and she's like, I think I got it. <laughs> I was going to say, taking notes at the same time, she's yelling at you. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so she came up with a uh, clean shelf stable, organic, amazing uh, shelf stable ranch dressing. We launched a separate brand called Tessie Mae's Pantry. And that began another kind of massive ramp. Uh, so we got, the same distribution that basically took us 10 years, took us 10 months with Shelf Stable. It was like every meeting we went to. It and was, not just Walmart. I mean, right. Was, it was just like everybody. You, everybody we yeah. met with was like, absolutely. We're in. Yeah. And then that led right into the COVID lockdown. So we had all of these yeses. We did this whole like massive marketing and advertising campaign. And the data we were getting back was unbelievable. And then the entire world shut down. Mm -hmm. And so none of the launches that were supposed to happen in 2020 were happening because people were focusing on toilet paper and water and eggs and everything else. Mm. 
And so then we kind of went back and forth about trying to kind of make these, these launches happen in real time. Um, they ended up happening, right? Mm-hmm. But we're not in 2019 anymore. right? Uh, and so I would say that still has growth opportunity and it's still uh, going to be most of the growth of our brand. But a lot of momentum was taken away uh, of the shelf-stable launch. But we just did a packaging refresh. We announced it uh, probably last week. And um, kind of revamping the energy surrounding all of the products that we make, which we've had a bunch of amazing feedback. So again, you know, if you're not growing, you're dying. And so we're always trying to find a, a relevant way and an authentic way to kind of live into the brand journey that we're on. Did you, did you hire toward that 2019, you know, anticipated, you know, real growth, you know, that, that, I mean, yes. cause you, you, if you hire when you need them, you're too late. I mean, it's, yes. it's like, did you, I mean, did you bring people on anticipating that this is going to blow up? And then you thought, yes. wow, now we got two years. We got to hang on to people, you know, type yes. things. So what was, what was that like? It was tough, you know, cause again, not only we're a very complex consumer package, good brand in the grand scheme of, you know, not McCormick, Yeah, you know, because we manufacture everything ourselves. We are the consumer facing brand. We are our sales team, you know, like we do everything ourselves. And so anytime you want to launch something new, you have to, at this point, you have to kind of invest people and, machinery and dollars and R&D and all of that. And right. then you go and make it happen. Right. So if anything affects that process, you're always in a very bizarre place mm. of trying to stay ahead of, you know, the paradox of the chicken or the egg, Yep. yep. you know? Yep. And so it is difficult to do. And when you talk to a lot of these smaller brands and these startups, it's even difficult to explain how to find that balance of mm-hmm. tension mm-hmm. because you can't just go sell it and not live into the sale because then those relationships have been lit on fire. Right. And you usually don't have the cash to just build it and then just say, yeah, man, I'll see you in a year or two when this all comes to fruition. You're finding this really intricate balance of, is this an opportunity? How do we build it? How do we make sure it's happening in real time? How do I kind of gauge what that growth trajectory is going to be while I'm building it at the same time? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's a balance and it's not for the faint of heart. That's for sure. You've you got to be just, a, oh, just there's got to be a little crazy in the, in the batter. <laughs> I mean, to, to do this because it's, yes. you're, it's exactly right. I mean, there it's, it's almost like a, it, it is like a, a, an oxymoron. I mean, there's sometimes yeah. uh, we grew to the point that we couldn't survive, you yes. know, or, and just whole idea. I love this, the way you kind of described it, this managing the cycle, you know, type thing. You're, you're trying to manage anticipated growth. You're trying to, you know, to plan for that, but also plan for contingencies that are going to come up that you have no idea how to anticipate. 
You know, I mean, nobody, nobody in their right mind ever said other than this guy in 75 that wrote this crazy book that said COVID's coming. But, you know, nobody <laughs> said you know, that, that Snopes is probably proven, proven false. But, you know, nobody said, right. you know, hey, we're, you know, if you'd have told we told you two years ago, the entire world's going to shut down. We're all going to be wearing surgical masks. The kids no. are going to be studying at home. You know, you're going to be working in a hybrid environment actually moving forward now companies can't even get you back in the bu- in the building it's you know, it's, type it's unbelievable so, it is it's unbelievable time. when you look back and, and think about that and then also just like finding a way to survive and stay relevant with the consumers which i thought was a really amazing kind of testament to the brand that we you know it's cool when you become on when you're on someone's shopping list mm-hmm. yep. right like Tessie Mays mm-hmm. lemon garlic or Tessie Mays habanero ranch or something like that. And it's really cool when, even when the whole world is kind of, you know, crumbling around you or it's in complete chaos, it's like, well, you know, I still need to eat good food. So I better be getting the stuff I want, right? If this is the end of the world, I don't want to be eating trash. Right. And so uh, we were very, very lucky in that sense you know, and a lot of our bets early on about building out the infrastructure that we built from a manufacturing perspective really helped us because a lot of the brands that just kind of solely relied on co-packers, you know, they just, they died. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was crazy. What's uh, I'm, I'm curious, how do you position, you know, your product in the, in kind of the, the panorama of salad dressing? Is it, is it the, the highest, you know, cost product because it's the cleanest and it's the best for you and it's the hardest to make. Are you at the kind of the mid-level, upper mid-level? I mean, what's what's kind of your demographic you're you're kind of shooting for? Yeah. And is that a is that a benefit or a limitation for you? Yeah, I mean, I think so. We're not the most expensive, um, even though we probably should be. We made a conscious decision early on that we wanted to have kind of clean food for everyone was a mm-hmm. theme we used all the time. So that's why we went into the Walmarts of the world and kind of all of these different areas. Uh, that probably hurt us a little bit because brands that weren't as good as um, us from a quality perspective, you know, they could price it up to whatever and say, well, we're using this magical oil. Yeah. And it's not organic, but it's $8.99 or $9.99. People are like, oh, this is fancy. Why is Tessie Mays only, you know, $5.99? I don't understand. And it was a decision that we wanted to make it reasonable for the consumer. Yeah. Um, that's that works with high velocity, which mm-hmm. we right. which we have. Um, it doesn't work really well when there's no margin of error from a raw material and supply chain perspective, mm. which we're yeah. currently dealing right. with. So we've had to do a bunch of price increases because all of these, you know, raw materials that we buy from all over the world are skyrocketing, you know, um, sunflower oil, 80% of it in the world comes from Russia and Ukraine. Mm shocking. I don't think anybody would have thought that was going to happen. And then what that did in turn was uh, it made every other oil on the planet significantly more because Mm -hmm. 
people couldn't get what they're using for organic salty snacks, right? It's a very popular oil for that. Uh, it's very popular for salad dressings, etc. And so then kind of all of the other stuff skyrocketed. Yep. So, you know, what we were faced with was maintaining quality, maintaining taste, maintaining kind of the brand promise that we had, uh, which meant we had to raise price, uh, which was, you know, it, it was kind of a little frustrating in the beginning. It was like a, you know, anytime you do something for the first time, it's really difficult. And so we had never done a price increase before. Mm. <laughs> and so, you know, we're calling these people and, you know, we did not do a, a large enough one in the beginning because we thought, you know, inflation wasn't going to keep going and the supply chain price, right? It was like, you know, we'll do a little one. And uh, in retrospect, you know, it, it's just, it's going to keep happening for the foreseeable future. So we're trying to find that balance of like, what is still reasonable for families to buy this the way that they want to consume it? Um, based on on what the global raw material uh, pricing situation is, right? Yeah, that, I mean that that makes perfect sense, and it's a it is a really interesting kind of segue into our our next segment of the of the podcast here, and it's that really is kind of a mentor moment. You know, I mean, you you can you have so many stories of you know leading Tessimays, you know, from two thousand nine to to today, and things you've learned and things you wish you would have known, you know that you know now that you would have known if you would have known five years ago, it would have been a game changer, you know, yeah. maybe for you. But if you're, if you're speaking to, to founders that are, that are further behind you in the journey or just really getting started, what are, what are one or two really salient points that, that you've learned kind of the hard way that you think would really be germane, regardless kind of industry agnostic, what are, what are one or two things that you think would be really helpful? Just kind of quick, you know, just highlights. Trust your gut. Um, I think so often in the beginning, we... Spoken every, like a true athlete. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's... You're told by all of the experts that you're wrong. Mm. You know, trust me, follow my process. You don't know what you're talking about. You're young. You, yep. you don't know what's going on. Trust me, I worked for, you know, Heinz or McCormick or whatever. You sit down, young boy, and let mm -hmm. me tell you what's good. <laughs> and... Um, most of the time they were not right. And um, in my gut, I knew what the answer was, but you also want to kind of approach it in a way where, you know, you don't act like you have all the answers, right? right. right. You're like, okay, well, maybe I just don't know what I'm talking about, right? If this is the answer and it can be this easy, I like things that are easy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like taking the most difficult path in the right. world. Uh, it might so have been true in their context. I mean, and if they if they came from McCormick context or which yeah. whoever it was, it may have that may have been true in that context. But uh, you were looking at it from 100 percent different perspective. Yeah, right, a hundred percent. And so we were kind of an anomaly in what mm -hmm. we were doing, right? Because the raw materials were different, and the process of manufacturing was different. And you know, we just we we ran in contradiction to a lot of the data points of what salad dressing is to consumers. Yeah. And so, you know, if you're, if you're traditionally trained, then you're going to give that advice because that's what you know. Yep. Uh, and so when you're doing something that may or may not have never been done before, uh, you know, trust your gut, right. Trust, but verify. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, 
I should have trusted my gut more early on. Cause again, we have the answers, right? We convince ourselves that somebody else has an easier answer. And then the other piece, um, I would just say, uh, really read more. You know, I, I'm a ferocious consumer of uh, information. And I think that the content that you put in your brain, how you curate it, really can affect how you look at the world and the decisions that you need to be making that day. Right. And so, so often young founders have young friends. Those young friends are probably not running businesses. You know, they're influencing them with their perspective, which is most likely not correct. Uh, You know, they're probably not reading, you know, historical biographies Mm -hmm. of former presidents or generals or stoic philosophy, right? right? Uh, And I think all of that stuff is really, 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 really important because so much of what we go through, uh, Mark Twain has a great quote, history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. Mm. And it's one of these things where, yeah, you may be experiencing something for the first time, but you may learn something from a completely different time period of what you need internally to kind of overcome the obstacles that you're looking for. And I think early on, everything is new. And so everything is the most serious problem you've ever faced in your life. Right. And so if you don't have a really good, honest mentor around, which I unfortunately did not have, you can rely on books to help kind of guide you down that path. You got to, I mean, you have to grow with your business too. I mean, you, you certainly, if you're not, I mean, you say if you're, if the business is not growing, it's dying. I think that's, that's very true of the leader as well, because I 100%. think it's hard to cast a vision without, you know, growing in, in maturing in your, in yourself. But I um, mean, that is, those are such, such great points and so salient, I think for their, it, it, just the simplicity of them, but yet, I mean, they're, they're, they have a lot of impact, you know, in, if, in application, but if we've, you know, we've covered quite a bit in the, in the chat today. Is there anything you'd like to just kind of wrap us up with today that, that I haven't asked you about that, that you think would be really helpful in our discussion? And then maybe just tell people where the best place to, to find you or Tessa Mace online. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, if you can find a good mentor, I know people hear about that all the time. Um, if you can find a good you know, group of peers to help kind of bounce ideas off of. That's very important. And, and just, again, read books and uh, improve yourself every single day. And then, um, you know, tessiemays.com and then every major uh, grocery store in the country in either the refrigerated set or where the normal salad dressing stuff is. And then I think the only social platform I'm on is LinkedIn. I got rid of that a couple of years ago. Yep. So uh, I am on LinkedIn and I post kind of updates on, you know, what's going on with the business and packaging and fun stuff like that. Uh, and that's really it. Be a good place or, to Or customer service journey. if you have a complaint. 
You know, no, I, I get the complaints. Oh, I thought that was mom. I thought mom it was is. your customer. It is, but service. she forwards them to me. <laughs> She's, I just want the accolades. I want to give you all the problems. <laughs> you're, you're the leader. Take, take it on. She forwards it to me. There you go. That's uh, my management philosophy. I tell my team, I, my management philosophy is I, I take credit and deflect blame. So, you know, it's... Uh, <laughs> I think that builds morale, you know, in the, yeah, in the for team, sure, so for sure, really encourages them there. But uh, man, Greg, yeah. thank you for for just taking time today. It's been a pleasure to to get to know you virtually and to, to hear the story of, of Tessa Mays and and just you know just hearing just your your journey as a founder, your journey that you've grown in and, and led your teams in, and and really just helping all boats rise in a rising tide. And have a great weekend. Thank you. Another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.